this week on Startup Advantage. You really have to just stick to your objectives, stick to what you know your goals are, and just have this notion that regardless of where you're from, what you look like, who you are, you're worthy. Like the fact that you're here, that's the qualifier. You are worthy. As long as you've got breath coming through your lungs, you're worthy. And whatever your purpose is, just stick to it and keep hustling it out. Welcome to Startup Advantage, where first-time entrepreneurs gain encouraging insights on the strategies, habits, and mindsets of successful entrepreneurs. You'll hear conversations on how to be more efficient, live smarter, and increase your resilience to give you an advantage in the early stages of starting and building your business. Even people we think are overnight successes, there's usually a story there. It usually took a decade or who knows how long that we don't know all the years and hours and late nights and different business models they tried. And it's about having the guts to actually do it. You know, I mean, all the planning in the world doesn't uh, solve for not taking action. So once you have that clarity and you can get dialed in on that day-to-day progress, that's where the magic can happen. You want to position yourself as a trusted solution partner for your customer base so that when they need something that you're in the arena of providing, you're who they think of. I'm your host, Tanya Derrider, a former broadcast journalist turned entrepreneurship coach. We'll also explore the role of relationships and how to approach entrepreneurship collaboratively as a team sport for a competitive advantage. Subscribe on your favorite podcast player at startupadvantagepodcast.com. Share it with a friend that will benefit from it. Welcome to Startup Advantage with me, Tanya. Thank you for joining me for episode number 33 and for letting me be your guide again today. This week, we have a special guest on the podcast, Joshua Littlejohn. We're speaking to him a young and inspiring entrepreneur about his entrepreneurial journey and how he learned to pivot for his dreams. Joshua is the founder and CEO of a Canadian digital media and information technology company, Norgrace. This episode is for you if you're interested in learning more about the benefits of running your business so that it looks like a large corporation which is what Joshua has found through experience to work for him and the companies that he coaches and helps. This episode is also for you if you're in need of some inspiration. You'll hear how Joshua, now still in his early 20s, pivoted since high school for his dreams and eventually reached business success. Joshua is also generously sharing free copies of his book, The Marketing Fallacy, How Any Small Business Can Look like a large corporation without the large costs. His book will help you to learn how you can position and market your business so that it looks larger than it is, so that you can reap the benefits that goes along with it. More details later in this episode on how you can get your free copy of the ebook and audiobook. At the end of this episode, I want you to feel encouraged that just like Joshua, you can pivot for your dreams. Let's welcome him. Hi, Joshua. Welcome to Startup Advantage. I'm so grateful to have time with you to learn from you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 
You are a young and passionate entrepreneur who is dedicating your professional life to helping businesses increase productivity, connect with their customer, as well as reduce operational costs. And you are on a mission to help small companies stay alive during COVID-19. You even in a commitment to help support small businesses during this time, established an association with your company, Norgrace, a nonprofit called Get Ready World that supports organizations that push sustainability, poverty alleviation, human rights, education, and progressive values. How did you find this passion for social upliftment and for progressive ideals and values? I've always been a big fan of the collective. I think together we can achieve anything. And I think anyone who really dedicates their life towards that same concept really deserves help. And I think oftentimes smaller businesses, nonprofits, they don't really get that support and they don't really get the push that they need. So the idea behind Get Ready World was to pool whatever resources I've had, whatever skills, skill set, whatever connections I've made into people who are doing good things, but they just really need that help. They perhaps need help with their marketing, perhaps getting a website together, setting up a communication system. So that was really the idea behind Get Ready World. It's just acting as an incubator towards people that deserve to be supported, but for whatever reason, they just haven't quite received that support. That's amazing. I'd love to learn a little bit more about why you care so much about supporting communities. Where did that spark start for you? I came from super humble beginnings. I was born in the south side of Jamaica, the south coast, immigrated here towards the end of high school and Really, from there, I think it's it's really just, just the entire notion of there's a little guy out there who's got great ideas, great dreams, who can really bring value to this world, but oftentimes they're left out. So my goal was always to see, okay, how can I help on that regard? I've always felt like it's really important for us to live a life that's larger than ourselves. That simply means helping someone other than you. So even if you're a single mom, perhaps raising the best kids that can get out there and help to make a difference. Or if you're someone who is an entrepreneur, for example, not just lending a helping hand to your company, you might not want to help your direct competitors, but perhaps other people in the entrepreneurial field, seeing what advice you can provide, what mistakes you've made that you can help them avoid. It's really like just about living a life that's bigger than yourself in whatever facet that is, just really living a life that's outside of just you. Mm. And that there's different ways to do it. It's not just always about giving money. There's support services that you can offer as a business, as an entrepreneur. Exactly. What are some of the benefits that you've experienced by running your company so that it looks like a large corporation? One of the major benefits is just perception. I find that like the moment someone goes to my website, they instantly assume it's larger than it is. I can even remember working with other small businesses and just implementing the same things that I've done in my company and hearing the stories of people thinking it's a franchise and it's a, a larger company or it's owned by a larger company. No, that's that's a small business. That's a small business, but it really creates a perception of being larger than you are. And I found that it really builds respect. It really builds respect and also allows companies to stand out in their field. So 
when you're a small business, it's hard to get attention. You find if you should do a Google search right now for like your local plumber, I guarantee you all five of the websites that you see for your local plumbers are going to look the exact same. But if you've got a website that looks perhaps like a Mr. Plumber or something, and you're a small business, you find you really put yourself on their level. Like you really do get some of that market share. You get the perception from the consumer that, okay, this is a company that I can stand behind. And you know what? If you even incorporate it in your story that, hey, we're a local family-owned business while looking like some large corporation, I find that's an even better seller. Like people really, people really do love that. I've read that you believe that there are businesses that will see their best milestones during this Mm COVID-19 period. Why do you believe this? So I think the time in which this pandemic has come about can be advantageous. It's absolutely a dark moment. I don't want to mitigate the seriousness and the effect that this has had on people. But I think the infrastructure is there during this time. And I think there's certainly companies that are going to see their best years during this time. The one that comes to mind is food delivery businesses. I can't tell you how much I've spent personally on food deliveries because I'm going out less. So it's, oh, I'll, I'll just have it delivered to me. So that's a prime example. My dad was really one that saw this towards the end of 2019, around December of 2019. He brought me into a system. So we started planning for a mobile tire service. He started this in late 2019. We started the planning, getting everything registered and so on, deciding who we're going to bring on to help with what and so on. And yeah, and then once we went live, once we launched, the pandemic came around. And surprisingly, I don't think we would have done as well as we did or launch if it wasn't for the pandemic, really, because... People didn't want to go out. People didn't want to go to the tire shop and just having the tire shop come to you. It was perfect timing. So I think a company like food delivery businesses, Skip the Dish, Uber Eats, they're going to see some of their best years during this time. And a company like my dad's Tire Needs on Wheels, he's going to see some of the best years of his company during this time as well. So what I'm hearing is seeing the opportunity, adapting, innovating, using what you have and making sure that you have that online presence so that people can find you. In your book, The Marketing Fallacy, you dedicated the book in part to your dad. I want to quote this. To small business owners like my father, you all work relentlessly and sacrifice so much to pursue your dreams while providing for the ones you love. You are legends, unquote. (laughs) What role has your father played in your decision to become an entrepreneur? Ever since I was young, I always remember the drive that my father had or has. He's a super driven man. His father wasn't as present in his life. And I see how he really tries to make up for that through us, through me and my siblings. I can't really tell you how many times I've seen my father take a day off. (laughs) It doesn't seem like it's the concept that he quite understands. Working 12-hour shifts, just always in the grind, really. There's just something really motivating, really inspiring about that. And like for him, I know his dad wasn't that present, so he really tries to make up for it. And that's absolutely something that I admire to this day. Is he also someone who cares about social causes and upliftment and supporting others? Do you think that's where you get it from? I think that side is more so my mom. My mom is extremely charitable and also my grandmother. My grandmother, she lives in the country back in Jamaica. And I can remember days when people would come over for a meal. 
like she would cook and it would be enough. It's really interesting just looking at your family on a whole and seeing how things really pass on, like really they just pass on through throughout the generations. Amazing. We're all connected. Yes. <laughs> I saw in your book you talk about story and how to use it. And mm-hmm. you're also generously sharing a free copy of your book with Startup Advantage listeners. Thank you so much for doing that. Very often I have students ask, should you as an entrepreneur focus on building the brand of your business? Or is it also important to build your own personal brand as an entrepreneur? That's a really good question. I think it really depends on what your brand is. So there's some people like Oprah Winfrey, for example, Oprah is really her brand. So she's got her television network. It's called OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Her talk show was the Oprah Winfrey Show. And then there are people who can do both. I like to think of myself as someone who does both. In terms of my personal brand and my company's brand, the inspiration for me is actually Richard Branson through Virgin. I think he's someone who does it well. So once you think of Virgin, it's it's a standalone company, but you can't help but think about Richard as well. He publishes his books under Virgin. He's really the face of the company without it being tied into him. So is your brand you, like in the example of Oprah? If that's the case, then you perhaps want your website, your personal website to have all your services. You probably wanted to have some method of booking you and stuff like that. And if you're going to go the Richard Branson route or the Norgris route and have it separate, then you want to build both. And you can also tie it in. So you can always incorporate it. Like for me, I try to make myself present within the company because I find that people like that. They like when they see who they're working with. They like when they know who exactly is behind the brand. So I try to incorporate myself in the company without making it all about me. I do think you are doing it well. I've stalked you on Twitter a little bit (laughs) and on other channels. And what you do is you'll reference to social causes that aligns with your company values on your personal profile. So I really love that. Thank you. Joshua, as a young Jamaican-born Canadian entrepreneur stepping into the tech realm, you certainly must have had your fair share of setbacks or challenges in creating your business. What do you believe is the biggest obstacle that you had to personally overcome to become a successful entrepreneur? I think there's just always the concept of being different, looking different from your peers. Your background is different. So, of course, your experiences are going to be different. The stuff that you relate to are going to be different. And then there's also just the entire idea of looking different as well. So I feel like there's always the notion that you have to deliver more in order to prove yourself as being worthy. Like when I just started my company back in 2017, I needed to get a business bank account. And the first bank that I went to, I remember being turned back. You're going to need your parents for this. And I'm like, they're just directors of my company, like just on the legal side of things, they're just directors, but it's all me. And yeah, I literally remember being turned back for that. And it's sort of those moments where you're like, okay, I think I see what's going on here. So it's certainly something that you can't ignore. You have to keep it in mind. But at the same time, you don't want it to consume you. It's not something that you dwell on. You really have to just stick to your objective, stick to what you know your goals are, and just have this notion that regardless of where you're from, what you look like, who you are, you're worthy. Like the fact that you're here, that's the qualifier. You are worthy as long as you've got breath coming through your lungs, you're worthy and whatever your purpose is, just stick to it and keep hustling it out. 
I love that you affirm people and it's so true. I second it. <laughs> and then also that you shared your thought process around it. Do not get stuck, right? You also shared that you started No Grace in 2017 while you were unemployed with only $500. How did you manage to grow your company into the success that it is today, only in a short four years? Norgris is really luck. Oprah Winfrey has this thing where she says, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. And that was it. That was ultimately Norgris. When I started it in 2017, I didn't just say, oh, I want to start a business. Let's get this done. I was unemployed. The opportunity presented itself by way of Intuit. So Intuit TurboTax, they were having operations in Canada. They were going to be providing a work at home service in Canada. Now, a lot of companies do this nowadays where they don't want to hire an employee because, of course, an employee is more commitment. There's benefits, there's payroll, there's all of that that you have to handle when, when someone's an employee. So what they do is they turn to subcontracting and that opportunity presented itself. So, of course, you needed a business in order to work with them as a subcontractor. So for me, what I did was I got a business registered. I'm like, okay, excellent opportunity. I was told about it by a friend. I got a business registered, just went onto a Corporations Canada's website. I think it cost me like 250 bucks. Got it registered that day, got a domain as well. Set up my website, I submitted the application. I got in, it's like, oh, all right, you're now an Intuit contractor. They provided all the training and everything. And they also presented the opportunity for me to bring other people on. So from there, I posted an ad on Indeed, advertising as a client services rep, come on in. And yeah, people applied. I remember the response was overwhelming. Initially, I started out calling everyone, interviewing them over the phone and so on. And then (laughs) I realized, okay, this is going to be too much. So I went for a service called Easy Hire. I sent out a mass email to everyone and they completed their interview using an on-demand system selected my agents from that based on how I vibed with their interview. And then I had a little team (laughs) and suddenly I was managing agents. That was how Norgris started. And then it was back to school later on in the year in September of that same year. So throughout my entire college years, I've been doing Norgris. Amazing. So I'm hearing taking action when the opportunity comes, looking for ways to make it work. Do you feel like your studies was enough of a foundation for you to give you that success that you achieved? Or did you have to do a lot of pivoting and figuring it out? So immediately after high school, I remember applying to IT. So applying to information technology, got into Carleton. I flew across the country, leaving Alberta, heading all the way to Ottawa by myself. Only lasted a semester. (laughs) Only lasted a semester. It was a a combination of homesickness and just that feeling like, I, I I don't think this is... This is what I want to do. It's funny, like the older you get, you really do pivot on your dreams, whether it's a case where you realize, okay, it's just not going to work or somewhere along the line, you lose motivation. And I remember being younger and just creating, I would teach myself web design. This was perhaps when I was like 11, 10, I would teach myself web design and I would create companies just like a a make-believe company. I remember I created a bank (laughs) once, I created an airline, so I would create the logo and I'd create the website. Just envisioning myself as as owning an airline or a bank. Once you're reaching the end of high school, it's okay, I'm entering the real world now. I'm not going to be able to create an airline or a bank right out of high school. I don't have the experience. I don't have the funding or anything. So you start thinking, all right, let's get a job. And what's something that I'm good at? 
I was good at IT. I could make a website. So it's like, all right, let's venture into IT. Let's do that. And once I graduate, let's look for a job in IT. And that was really a pivot from my dreams. While doing that, you sort of realize, okay, probably not what I want. And then, yeah, I left school, came back home unemployed with student loans for a program that I started and decided to leave a semester in. 500 bucks in my account and just sitting on my parents' couch, just wondering what my next move is going to be. And Norgris came along, not from a desire, but really just by chance. I really felt like a part of it was just really divine alignment, just getting me back onto the path that I think I should be on. You have attributed a lot of your success to your ability to build relationships and to network. How did you manage to do this, to build this skill set? I think it's just a conversational thing. I'm a really private, really reserved person, but I'm also very amicable. And once I get into a conversation with someone, it's very rare for that conversation not to lead into like an acquaintance or perhaps a budding friendship. I can even think of so many times where I'm perhaps working with someone on a work or school related project. And before the end of it, it probably becomes a conversation of who's our favorite singer or what's our favorite movie (laughs) or something like that. And I think it's just a matter of keeping those relationships going. So really just checking in with people and so on. Also, LinkedIn has been an amazing tool for me in terms of networking. I I wasn't really that into LinkedIn. It just seemed like a boring social networking site, but (laughs) it's phenomenal. I've had so many great connections that way. And like I said, just being amicable, just being open to people, trying to understand people and finding common ground. I feel like it doesn't matter what our background is. At the end of the day, we're all human and we all have something that really connects us on a really base level, like on a really primitive level. There's something there, like whether it's just a love for music, like who doesn't love music? We might not like the same (laughs) type of music, but I know that everyone loves music. And if it's something like Mm -hmm. that, like just building a connection on that, or maybe what's your favorite book, just really creating a connection somehow. I love LinkedIn. It's just such a helpful tool. And you really get to see more about people's backgrounds as well, their work experience. By the way, what is your favorite movie or your favorite book? Now that you brought it up, do you have one? I do. I do. So my favorite movie, it's a, it's a really, it's a really cheesy movie from back in the nineties. And it's called The Bodyguard (laughs) with Kevin Costner. That is a beautiful movie. I love it too. Uh, okay, nice. Yeah, I feel like it's 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 the perfect mix. You know, it's it's got some action in there. It's got some 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 thrillers, some romance. It's got music, like lots of music. I think it's just a perfect blend of everything. So, The Bodyguard is really mm-hmm. a favorite movie of mine. And as it relates to a favorite book, I truly love Shark Tales by Barbara Corcoran. It just chronicles her journey. It reminds me so much of me. So for her, she started her company with a thousand dollar loan that she borrowed from her ex-boyfriend. Yeah, it chronicles her journey of him saying, you'll never make it without me and going off with her secretary. And of course, like Barbara Corcoran, she's a star now. She's on Shark Tank. She's the queen of New York real estate. And her story is one that really connected with me. Just the idea of being the outsider, the underdog and just working your way up. I will have to read that. I will get a copy. I saw that in high school, you were a member of the Model UN Club, Mm -hmm. where you represented your school at conferences in Calgary and Vancouver. And you also performed in multiple plays and performances as part of your school's drama society. Do you believe that these experiences and the communication skills that you gained from that gave you an advantage when you became an entrepreneur? 
Oh, yeah. So that was very deliberate. Let me say that, especially drama. Even now, I feel so like nervous doing this. Like it's always so difficult for me to, yeah, for me to put myself out there. So drama was very deliberate. I knew it wasn't something that I would be comfortable in, but I somehow knew I needed it. I knew that if you're going to live a life that's larger than you and one that's outside of yourself, you're going to have to communicate with people. You're going to have to reach out to people and you're going to have to be a good communicator. So drama was super deliberate. I said, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I always got A's in drama. I don't know if my teacher just perhaps recognized the effort or whether it was a case where I was even that good, but that was super deliberate. And the same thing with the Model UN Society. I thought it was a great way to really put myself out there because you're going to these conferences where there's dozens and sometimes hundreds of students from all across the country, sometimes all across the world. And you're representing countries, you're speaking on policy and you're networking as well. You're going to be doing collaborations. You're creating policies together all in a mock environment. But I thought it was a perfect simulation for the business world. I was also part of the debate society back in high school all deliberate attempts to force myself out of my shell. That's such a good thing to do, to really push yourself to build skill sets that you know you're going to need. Do you have any tips on how to approach pushing through that initial hesitation when you feel that initial fear? I think planning. Planning really helps. Planning, preparing, just making sure you've got an idea as to what you're going to be talking about. Like you don't want to go in into any situation not knowing why you're there and what exactly you're going to deliver. And just be you. There is this book called The Charisma Myth by Olivia Fox Cabain, and it is a must read, I think, for anyone who's in their shell and who troubles with speaking or communicating. That's thoughtful advice. I saw <laughs> that you don't drink coffee. I, I can't don't. imagine that. I'm a huge <laughs> coffee drinker. So I I do you have a specific go-to that you use to give yourself a boost or to just manage your overall health and energy? So I work out, I try to do like at least a mile on the treadmill every day. Now the treadmill, it's not the best workout device, but it's certainly better than not doing anything. And of course, right now we're in a deep freeze here in Edmonton. So it's minus 30 outside during this week. I think it's starting to warm up now. It's minus 20 now, minus 20 degrees, but it was minus 30 during the week. So of course you're not going to go outside running during that time. So I find exercising, drinking lots of water, getting your rest. I try to get my rest, even though... Sometimes it's hard, especially when I'm working on a project, it feels like I'll probably go to bed at three in the morning sometimes, and then I'm up at six or so. So it's difficult, but I try to get my rest. So even if it means like taking a nap during the day, I absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. I try my best to provide whatever stimulation I need from inside. Nice. And do you have a daily routine that helps you to be successful in your work? So every day, just exercising. And also what I've found is whatever routine you have, the secret to it is consistency. I found that consistency is the best skill anyone can have. If you master the skill of being consistent, you can master any skill that there is. If you want to learn how to play the guitar, if you're consistent, trust me, you're going to learn how to play the guitar someday. So I find like incorporating consistency, just making sure you do it when you say you're going to do it, even if you don't feel like doing it. Because the fact is, whenever we create routines for ourselves, I found that there's something inside of us that knows it's what we're supposed to do. We know it's going to help us in some way. And really, once you stick to that, you'll find you'll reap the benefits of it, even when you're not doing it anymore. So for example, if you're someone who works out while you can work out, 
once you get older and working out is a bit more of a challenge, you'll find you might reap the benefits of it. So you'll probably have better heart health, better lungs, stronger bones than your peers and so on. So that's really it. Whatever routine you have, put a little consistency in it. Make sure you do it when you say you're going to do it. Plan for it. Know when you're going to do it. And then when that time comes to show up for it. Reflecting on your entrepreneurial journey. Which strategy, habit, or mindset have you personally found to have helped you the most to achieve the success that you have? So you sent me this well in advance. I was constantly thinking about it. And you know what? The answer didn't come to me until perhaps yesterday. I'm doing a fourth year leadership course as part of my last semester. The answer actually came from that course. And what the answer is to that question is having a shared value. I've found that in whatever team you've constructed, if all of you have a shared value, it creates a unifying force. It really creates a unifying force. So an example of that shared value is, let's say you value achievement, personal achievement. What I've found is that some of the best people I've worked with, because for, for me, all my team, it's remote. Lately, I've tried to outsource most of our stuff to developing countries because I found like it's not only more affordable for me, but it, it's also providing some sort of income for those people. So someone who's helped with publicity for me, so getting me into publications and blogs and so on, he's actually based in Africa. And what I found is a shared value for us is we're both two young guys. We've got dreams and I find that really unifies us. So we'll work on projects even if there's no money involved. It's just that shared value he also helped me co-write my book. So there you go. So that's an example of that. And um, we'll work on a project. And of course, the money isn't the driving force in that. It's just, okay, let's get this out. We'll be providing knowledge to other people. We'll have a book before we're even 25. We'll have a book to say, hey, we've wrote this. Like That's a really good embellishment on your resume. And I think that's really something that I, I can attest to just having a shared value. Whoever you're working mm -hmm. with, whoever you've got on your team, make sure you've got a shared value with them. That value could even be something like family, perhaps having people who value their family working together, then you'll create a company culture that values family time, that values personal time. It's going to create a unifying environment. So do you yeah. recommend that people actively talk about what their values are? before they yes. start working together? Or is it something that you assess on your own? You do assess it on your own at some points, but in a more structured environment, it's difficult to assess it. And then you might pull someone into your team and then halfway down the road, you realize, hey, I feel like I feel like we're not quite, we're, we're like oil and water here. I've actually made a promise to myself that if I start hiring again, once I've got like another client contract up, whether it's with Intuit or another company, then I'm going to be recruiting subcontractors again. That's certainly a question I'm going to integrate. What are your values? Like what's important to you? And if those align, then I think that's certainly a sign that we'll be working together in a better fashion. And then for an existing team, have conversations to certainly find out what those shared values are and look for the ones that you guys have in common and build connections from that for sure. Oh, I so love that. That's actually something that I use to pick my podcast guests as well. I look for shared values. I couldn't have that conversation with you, but I did look at what you're putting out there, right? And that resonated with me. We're in a world where you can get a pretty good grasp of someone by just Googling them. Like certainly even someone's social media can really show you what's important to them, where are they posting about. And that's marvelous. I, I didn't think of that. Yeah, I love that you're so active and helping others and you really care about communities. How can people connect with you if they want to reach out to you? 
My website is joshualjohn.com. I'm giving your audience a free copy of the book, The Marketing Fallacy. So if you want to claim that, just go to freebook.joshualjohn.com and uh, you can claim your free copy there. So either the audiobook or the ebook. Also, I'm on Twitter at Lil John. So just my last name. Instagram is Joshua Lil John. Facebook, Joshua Lil John as well. LinkedIn is also Lil John. Feel free to connect with me there. I'll be sure to share those links in the show notes so that people can easily connect with you. This was a blessing. Thank you so much. Thank you again so much, Joshua, for sharing about your success strategies, habits, and mindsets, and for being so honest about your own personal experience. What do you think of the conversation we just had with Joshua? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do let me know. I do hope you feel encouraged that just like Joshua, you can pivot for your dreams and that you are worthy, whether you're a little guy, an underdog or not. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this episode, it is that most entrepreneurs have to pivot for their dreams on their way to entrepreneurial independence. And in order to achieve business success, Joshua had to pivot. I have to pivot. You will have to pivot, very likely. It's part of the process. If this episode helped you, please do share it with a friend who you know will benefit from hearing about Joshua's journey and who will also want a copy of his free book, The Marketing Fallacy, that you can get for free. You can get your copy by following the link you'll find in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Startup Advantage podcast with me, Tanya. This is your Startup Advantage, where entrepreneurship is considered a team sport. So please share it with a friend who will benefit from it. And if you want to support this podcast, please write a review in your favorite podcast player. Stay safe and have a great week. 